This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome and thanks so much for being with us. I have to say that the events of the last several weeks with the riots and looting and murdering are rapidly emerging as something that we always said was not just about the death of George Floyd. When America is at the point where government will not take down violent anarchists in Seattle, where National Guardsmen are kneeling before rioters, and where rapidly escalating cancel culture is now extending to syrup bottles and classic movies, we've got a major cultural revolution on our hands. My next guest says we're in the middle of Act One of the Second American Civil War and Act Two could be right around the corner. So we're going to discuss it today with veteran investigative reporter Leo Homan, author of Stealth Invasion. Leo, so good to welcome you back to the program. How are you? I'm good, Janet. How are you? Doing fine, all things considered. I mean, with this subject matter, it's a little difficult to say, oh, everything's just wonderful. But, you know, this is really important. Your article, I think, is fantastic, and I know you have more to come at your website. You say that what we've been seeing over the last several weeks is Revolution Phase 1. Can you explain to people why you think so? Sure. Uh, Yeah, Janet, I, I came to that conclusion by studying other revolutions, uh, the Nazis and how they came to power, the Bolsheviks in Russia, you know, the French Revolution. It seemed like in every case you have these uh, useful idiots who are more, you know, they're not really the thinkers of the revolution, they're more like the thugs. Yes. Uh, you had, Hitler had his brown shirts, you know, uh, Robespierre had his Jacobins. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bolsheviks, they were, you know, a small, tiny percentage of the Russian population. They did not represent the, uh, you know, the overall culture, cultural norms of their country, but yet they were able to take over. Yep. Right. And you see the same thing happening here right now in this mob rule, both in terms of street violence, uh, you know, tearing down the monuments and the statues that represent our history, going after what? They went after the small businesses. They trashed and looted them, smashed their windows yep. in the city streets. They're going after, and that represents what? Capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went after the churches. They set St. John's uh, Episcopal Church on fire and desecrated with uh, vandalism many, many other churches in these cities. Uh, That represents God. Uh, And so they're going after the things that communism traditionally hates, you know, capitalism and God. Yes. And, uh, you know, and and it really goes back to the culture war that we've been fighting for decades. It's just now spilling over into the streets, but not just in the streets. It's also, like you said, in the cultural revolution. It's like a Maoist cultural revolution that happened in China, where all the companies and sports legends and entertainers, all the important people, are having to what? 
bow to this new normal yeah. and declare their allegiance to Black Lives Matter without even... You never hear what Black, Matter, Black Lives Matter actually stands for. Yes. It's not a secret. All you have to do is go on their web, website, and they have a little tab there on their website says, What We Believe. You click on that, and it tells you what they believe. There's very little in there about black lives. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and and yet we're having to bow to that. And and that's the thing that is very striking to me is how many people, especially people in law enforcement, are taking a knee to these writers. I don't care what kind of excuse they offer. We just want to defuse the situation. That is a moment of subjection that is gold for these revolutionaries to get on camera. Oh, yeah, the, the optics are everything. And that's why, Janet, I'm very concerned because even though I've been studying and restudying some of these historic revolutions, Lenin said there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks when decades happen. That's right. And that was way before the age of the Internet. Yeah. Things move even faster now. You're right. You're because right. Because of, you know the internet and social media it, it's like lightning how things can spread and that's what we're seeing and it really is disturbing when uh you see things moving at such a pace and it's almost hard to keep up with them every day and my feeling janet i don't know about you but it seems like it's going from the top down people having to bow the knee to this new normal as we as we just said it's it's starting, you know, with the sports legends and the entertainers and the big corporations. But I feel like it's working its way down, and eventually every person in America will have to pick a side in this battle. Well, there's so much to be said here. One thing is that when you're looking at some of the people who I think are useful idiots for the cause, we have a younger generation now that doesn't remember the Cold War, much less the history of communism. They don't know anything about history very much, except what Howard Zinn has fictionalized for them. So you have people in this country even who aren't necessarily bowing the knee to all this who don't read much about history and have never seen with their own eyes a full-blown revolution in their own country. You know, if you had people who came out of the old communist bloc watching all of this, they see it through totally different eyes than somebody in America might. But you've got people who are really ripe for the picking, wouldn't you say, because they've never seen it before and they don't have the knowledge or the wisdom to see a revolution when it's right before them. So when they hear things like defund the police, and I know you know this, this is exactly how communists have worked before. You have to sweep away the legitimate police so you can put in the Marxist version of the police. They love the police. In Marxist countries, they just want themselves to be the ones who are ruling. 100% true. That's what I had, had included in my article, that exact sentiment that you just expressed. Show me a communist country that has ever lived on the face of the earth that did not love police. Yeah. And so what we're seeing is a big deception. They're saying defund the police. They're saying abolish the police. Uh, some of them, they even have different definitions of that, if you've noticed. Some say it literally means abolish the police. Others say, oh, it just means we want to cut their budget. Um, you know, they can't even get on the same page. I think that's by design just to keep everyone confused. Yeah. And so they can, ex you know, explain it away to certain people, depending on the group and the ideology of the group that they're talking to. 
But, uh, like you said, there's no country in history that has been socialist, extreme socialist, or communist that has ever disbanded police. This is completely a temporary deception uh, that will, there will be a void, there will be chaos because of it in any city that tries it, and then what? They'll, they'll come in with their solution, which will be their police to come in and restore order. Right. Uh, some, uh, myself included, have speculated that this could be the United Nations police force that comes in to fill the void and restore the order, but it could be some other force. We don't know. We just know that it isn't going to stay in chaotic situations indefinitely. That will not happen. That is a stepping stone. Create the chaos, create the confusion, create the fear, and then come in with the fix, yeah. which will be the international police force or the Islamic police force. Mm -hmm. You know, pick your exhibit A, B, or C. We just know that it won't be the way it is now. Well, there's a lot to get into on that, and I know we're coming up against a break here in just a few seconds, but one of the things, Leo, that I think is so significant about what you've said is when you look at what's going on in Seattle, this area of Seattle now called CHOP, it was called CHAZ, now they've changed mm -hmm. the name of it, here you have all these anarchists who pretend they're all festive and peaceful during mm -hmm. the day, and then they're you know causing chaos and crimes at night. We don't fully have good reports on that except from a few people, but what happens if and when this kind of thing spreads to other big cities? That's something that you talk about in your article, and I want to get into that in a little bit more detail, along with your great point about the spiritual anarchy and that salient angle to this whole thing. We're going to come back with Leo Homan. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Don't go away. Janet Meffer today is proud to partner with Preborn to help save babies' lives. Well, my name is Dan Steiner, and I'm the president of Preborn. Ultrasound truly is a game changer. When a mom comes into a pregnancy center under pressure to abort her child, perhaps the dad's gone, perhaps her mother is pressuring her. Most of the time in her heart, she doesn't want to abort, but what she needs is something that will give her the strength to choose life against the pressures that are forcing her to consider abortion. That's the ultrasound. If she hears her baby's heartbeat and sees that baby on ultrasound, everything's different. Will you join us in saving babies' lives? Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Meffer today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. A gift of $22 will provide one ultrasound, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 
402 baby. That's 855 402 2229. Or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us. It's also wonderful to have with us Leo Homan, author of Stealth Invasion. He's a veteran investigative reporter, lots of experience doing all kinds of wonderful investigations into all kinds of subjects. And this one is about what's going on right before our eyes. Revolution Phase One is what he's calling it. And he's got a great piece about it over at leohoman.com. Leohoman.com. I wanted to ask you about this CHOP, this autonomous zone in Seattle. Because one of the things, and you point out how unprecedented this is. You have a bunch of anarchists or Marxists who've taken over six square blocks in Seattle. The mayor's not doing anything. The governor's not doing anything. The leftists who are in charge there in so much of Washington state are all for it. So nobody's clamping down. Trump isn't going in there to arrest these people as the terrorists that they actually are. They've declared this particular section of the city to not be the United States. What in the world is going on here? Because as you say, what if this now happens in Portland, which would be the next step, or Chicago, or Detroit, or some of the other big cities, LA? What's going on here? Can you kind of piece together what you think is happening with all of this? Sure, uh, Janet. I think the cities to watch are going to be the sanctuary cities, Uh, the cities that are Democrat-controlled, which is, that's almost every large city now. Yes, yes. Um, but not only that, they're the, the ones that have declared themselves sanctuary cities for illegal aliens and all sorts of other uh, deviant groups. Um, and they're also in states with Democrat governors. So if you narrow that down, uh, Democrat-run cities, sanctuary cities in Democrat-run states, where the uh, the state legislature, but even more importantly, the governor is also a Democrat. Those are the cities that are going to be most at risk, I think, uh, in the coming weeks and months. And this could go on for months, and maybe if even into next year. Uh, and it could keep escalating, uh, which which I hope it doesn't. And it, and if it, but if it does keep escalating. Janet, the president, I feel like, is going to have to do something. He cannot allow multiple autonomous zones uh, espousing a foreign ideology, Marxism, that is antithetical to our U.S. Constitution, to spring up with armed militias governing the people in the cities or sections of cities on U.S. US soil. I just don't see it uh, as a sustainable thing without some sort of violent clash from some other force. It could come from an order of the president with the National Guard or the military coming in under the Insurrection Act. It could even come in the form of a vigilante or right-wing militia group attacking the autonomous Marxist autonomous zone. Yeah. 
And so this, these are all flashpoints for possible future civil war. And as I mentioned in my article, sitting back and analyzing it right now, I have to say there's a 50-50 chance that we could end up in civil war, possibly as early as next year. Well, the question a lot of us have is, why is President Trump not going in there? We understand he wants the left to own it before the election, so they can't possibly connect him to it. But that's a huge risk, is it not? Because this could go terribly sideways if he makes the wrong calculation on it. It is very tenuous. Um, So far, it has not spread beyond this one city in Seattle. Um, But if it does, he may be forced to do something before the election. That's right. That's uh, right. If it lasts past the election and he gets reelected, which I think it will if he gets reelected, I think we'll see an escalation, if anything. That could be the point where he moves in or some other group moves in and we see a flashpoint uh, and a crackdown. Yeah. Well, your key point, one of the key points, you make a lot of great points in your article, but you say the fact that these anarchists are now bold enough to ply their craft openly is telling. They would find no aid and comfort in our country if we had not already succumbed to spiritual anarchy. And you've pointed out how critical it is that these anarchists and Marxists are attacking God by setting fires to churches. They hate Christianity. They hate the family. The nuclear family's got to go. They've had a lot of you know successes even this week where we saw the Supreme Court decision on the LGBT right. stuff. That's a huge win for Marxists. BLM is a Marxist queer revolutionary movement, so they're loving that. What about this angle of the people who do believe in God, the Christians in this country, the God-fearing people in this country, the people who do love the nuclear family and understand how vital it is to keep all of this together. How does this whole puzzle fit, would you say, in the greater struggle that America is facing? Well, I feel like the whole reason that this has come to this point, Janet, is because, you know, people look at everything in a vacuum, and and they don't look at it in context and over the long term. Uh, This has been building for decades. It has been clearly, obviously building since the 1960s, and the removal of prayer and God from the schools, removal of, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments from courthouses, these are all tremendously important symbolic gestures that may look small at the time by themselves if you isolate one at a time, and that's how, unfortunately, most people look at the daily news. <laughs> yes. they, they look at these things in little bite-sized chipping points as opposed to the grand picture, the grand scheme of the trend lines. And see, I look at trend lines over decades, Yes. and I see this as having been building up and festering uh, for many, many years. And, it, and now the fact that they are out in the streets, uh, not only the fact that we have the mob out in the streets, but we see what? All of our major institutions backing them up. That's right. This is, that's why this, this, this rioting is different from the late 60s, where we had riots, what, in Los Angeles, Detroit, and many other cities Chicago. nationwide. But mm-hmm. we at least saw the cities uh, making some effort to... Um, restore law and order, and we certainly did not see major corporations bowing down and saying, we support the, the rioters, yeah, the without violent a f- rioters. Right, without a fight even. They're not even trying to argue a little bit before they capitulate. They just immediately capitulate. It's like a hostage video with these people. Correct. And as Tucker Carlson reported uh, a couple of nights ago, 
there was a recent Rasmussen poll out saying that 62% of Americans support Black Lives Matter. Good grief. Who probably don't even know. Yeah, yeah. percent And Rasmussen is, that is the most conservative polling company in the nation. So they would not be running a rigged poll. This is not like an ABC News Washington Post poll. This is Rasmussen. Right. Well, And he, they found 62% support among the American population for Black Lives Matter. That is chilling. It is. Chilling. It is. I think we've been warmed up by the decades of cultural Marxist uh, infiltration into our schools, our universities, our churches, our corporations, everything is taken over by the left. Yeah. Well, and, and, and this didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight. And one of the trends that I'm seeing, and I know you probably are too, Leo, because you have your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on uh, in this regard, but we're seeing in evangelicalism, for instance, evangelical leaders who won't fight to get their churches back open because of the pandemic shutdown that is now looking to stretch into eternity in some states, they won't even fight. They won't lift a finger. They're fine having online church and not gathering publicly, but they are openly promoting getting together in big cities and marching with Black Lives Matter. And I said, this is not the mainline left anymore. This is the left inside evangelicalism, which is a deadly poison for the culture at large if the church is to rise up and to have any sort of voice, prophetic voice at a moment like this. What are your thoughts on that whole development? Again, that's something that has been going on for decades. There were communists within the Methodist church back, working within the Methodist church back in the 30s, for heaven's sake. Yeah. Uh, The Catholic church was taken over uh, as well, there's a Bella Dodd, who was a former communist, testified before Congress in the 1950s that the American communists put 1,100 priests into the Catholic, Catholic priesthood, the seminaries, in the 30s alone, 1,100. Yeah. So they would be, go on to become bishops and cardinals and uh, apostolic nuncios and all of these important figures. In, in more recent years, we've seen the evangelical, the evangelical church has been the last one to be taken over. But now we see that happening. We you are. know, the, the Southern Baptist Convention comes out with a supportful document saying it supports critical race theory. This yep. happened last year. Right, right. Critical race theory is a Marxist, uh, idea, part of the Marxist ideology. That's right. That's right. That's Where we see going. everybody in terms, the all of society in terms of oppressors and op- the oppressed and the oppressors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, but it's an analytical tool. Don't forget, Leo. It's an analytical tool. We don't need the right. Bible anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, I like your prescription here. I think this is a really good way to say it. When you say "let's pray," it never gets to this point of a full-scale civil war. Let's pray for more time. I think that's a really good piece of advice that you've got. Can you comment on that, what we should be praying for right now and what we should be doing to restore our country? uh, I really feel like now is the time to make a stand. I don't know about you, Janet, but I don't feel like if we wait a year or two that there'll be anything left to stand for uh, in terms of what's left of our country. Of course, we'll always have our faith and no one can ever take that away from us. But if we value the freedom that we have to express our faith openly in this country, now is the time to make the stand. This may be the last moment 
in the history of America that we have a chance to publicly make our stand. So I don't mean just pray in your prayer closet. Get a group together and go pray on the city square. Do it while the others are protesting with Black Lives Matter signs. and, and do it now. Yeah, it, it's so true. Leo, what a wonderful article. Go to leohoman.com. You can read all about it. So glad to have you here, Leo. God bless you and keep up the good work. We'll be back. Thanks, Janet. Yep, you take care. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back, everybody. I want to talk a little bit about an event that took place a few days ago. It was some kind of roundtable discussion on racial reconciliation featuring Atlanta pastor Louis Giglio and Lecrae, the prominent black Christian rapper, and also Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A. Now, this is interesting. It's been getting a lot of traction on the Internet because there were some things said that then had to be apologized for. I'm going to play some of this audio for you so you know exactly what I'm talking about here. But the gist of this was they wanted to talk about race. And and there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of sessions right now talking about race. It's absolutely everywhere, especially in the church. Every time I turn around, I'm getting another press release. We're going to have a confab on race. So this was one of those. But I want you to listen first to what Lecrae said about what he wants the church to do to change things for the black community. This is cut one. And even the scriptures, King Josiah, um, who looks and says, oh my goodness, this is not the way things are supposed to be. And he alters things. And I think that's what we want to see the church do is say, okay, this is not the way things are supposed to be. We need to be on the forefront of altering things. Um, The church has done so much in terms of the water crisis, so much in terms of uh, the ended movement and sex trafficking. And 345 years, 89 years of, of slavery, 89 years of Jim Crow, and the church has said, well, it's over. What, what's our role here? When, in fact, this is one of the most beautiful opportunities for the church to become the hands and feet of doing something uh, profound in society and in culture. Now, that sounds good, but what are you talking about? Because slavery is behind us and Jim Crow is behind us, and that's great, and that's good. We fought an entire civil war in this country to end slavery, and it ended, and that was fantastic, and everybody's happy about that. And we ended Jim Crow, and that's good as well. I'm not really sure what the church is supposed to do, because at this particular moment in time, all of this ostensibly began because of Derek Chauvin putting a knee on the neck of George Floyd in Minneapolis. But it's very hard to say several weeks after that occurred that everything going on is just about that. And in fact, it's just flagrantly obvious that it's not just about that. And it's also not just about people feeling upset about ongoing, quote unquote, systemic racism, there's a lot more to it like, oh, I don't know, Marxism, like a planned activity by the left that's being used as a way to undo the country and dismantle America. That's what's really going on. 
but we're back to the same simplistic discussion, which is not so simple anymore. So here's where Dan Cathy weighs in. And the Christian Post headline says in part, Dan Cathy tells white Christians to repent. Listen to cut two. I think we have to recognize we are in a very special moment right now that the uh, answer is not for this just to go off the radar screen, to go back to talking about COVID-19, to talk about world peace, environment, whatever else, make politics is going to be coming up here this fall. I believe if we miss this moment, we have failed in our generation. Mm. That's good. Every generation has to take responsibility. And in the generation of Martin Luther King, of uh, Ivan Allen Jr., who was the mayor at the time, of Robert Woodruff from the business community, uh, with Tom Cousins, uh, every generation had somebody had to pick up a ton of responsibility mm-hmm. for the situation that we've got right now. Mm-hmm. And we got a real bad situation. Uh, we don't need to let this moment miss us. It has to hurt us. Mm-hmm. It has to hurt us. Okay, I'm not really sure about the crying necessarily. Seems a little overdone to me. But I, I, I don't know what he's talking about. If we miss this moment of what? Marxist uprisings, we have to do something. Okay, great. I'd love it if the church would do something about the Marxist uprisings. We should all be gathering together in prayer. We should be praying for the repentance of this nation. We should be praying for a spiritual revival within our churches that we would once again be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would be encouraged to go out into our communities and share the gospel. Share the gospel. Isn't that the job of the church? And I'm not saying we don't do good things for people. We ought to do good things for people, and we always have. But I'm not really sure what this, it's our responsibility. We have to take responsibility. What's this about? He goes on, cut three. And we as Caucasians, until we're willing to just, you know, pick up the baton and fight for our black African-American brothers and sisters, which they are as one human race, uh, we're shameful. We're just adding to it. Our silence is so huge at this time. We cannot be silent. You know, somebody has to has to fight, and and God has so blessed our city. Uh, but it's shameful how we let things get so out of whack. Okay, we as Caucasians have to pick up the baton and fight. Let's just talk about what's been going on in Atlanta. Because now we've got these murder charges lodged against this police officer with Rashard Brooks, who was the guy who took the taser and this is considered a deadly weapon and was trying to harm the police officers with it. And he shot him and he ended up trying to revive him by giving him CPR and saying, breathe, Mr. Brooks, breathe, breathe, breathe. This guy ended up being charged with murder by a DA who has his own problems and didn't even fully inform the Georgia Bureau of Investigation which is what they announced online and said, we haven't even completed our investigation. This led a number of Atlanta police officers not to show up for their shifts on Wednesday night in protest of these murder charges against this officer who shot and killed Rayshard Brooks after he resisted arrest. So what are we supposed to do about all of this? We as Caucasians take up a baton and do what? What, what are you talking about? And, and why are you ignoring all of the other relevant things that are going on? Now, to be fair, the developments that I just mentioned had not yet unfolded until after this particular discussion took place. I'm not saying they could look into the future and comment on that. But David Dorn was already dead. 
And we had a number of other people. Chris Beatty was already dead. You had a number of black people who had been murdered by these rioters. You had a number of black businesses that had been looted by these rioters. Those those lives matter. The babies killed in abortion, the black babies who are killed in abortion matter. But see, that's not the purpose of events like this, generally speaking. And I'm not saying that these people are against police officers. I'm not saying that they don't care about these other issues. But the just the crying and the we need to do something, and it's not really clear what they're telling us we need to do. Then he talks about a period of contrition. This is very interesting. Cut four. And I think before we try to jump into action, I would say that we need a period of contrition and a broken heart uh, in the city of Atlanta and a sense of real identity, not just criticizing people that are burning down that restaurant last night. We've got a heart for uh, the Ray Sean Brooks and the others that you've mentioned. We've got to have a sense of empathy of what led to this. This is a tip of the iceberg of incredible amounts of frustration and pain that the whole spectrum of the African-American community in some way or another can quickly illustrate, uh, Lecrae, just as you did, that uh, that most of us white people are just simply out of sight, out of mind. We're oblivious to it. Yeah. And we cannot let this moment pass. All right. A couple of things stand out for me in this particular cut, because when he's talking about whites being oblivious to the race issue, Mr. Kathy, whites are not oblivious to the race issue. We hear about it all the time. When you hear about white privilege, when you hear about white supremacy, when you hear about critical race theory and systemic racism, and you're told all the time that you're a terrible person and you can never fully repent and there's never really forgiveness and you're out of touch and you don't care and you don't love people. And no matter what you do, you're in trouble. People know this. They hear it all the time. They get browbeaten with this message all the time by people who have a lot more on their minds than race. It isn't just about race. For some people it is. And for those people, we say with a heart of Christian love, you are important. And of course, your life matters and everybody else's life matters. Whether or not you want me to say that, that's the Christian position. But to be told you have to have a period of contrition. I'm sorry, I was not in Minneapolis putting a knee on somebody's neck. That was Derek Chauvin, and he was arrested, and the three other cops were arrested. And let's pray that the justice system does its job. But there is injustice being leveled against the white police officer in Atlanta, and we ought to mourn that injustice as well, should we not? Cannot we be clear about this, that injustice to anybody of any color is a problem? It is. That's just the truth. And there's a lot more to what I'm thinking here about Dan Cathy in particular doing this. We're going to come back on Janet Meffer today. Stay with us. As cries for justice ignite our nation, Preborn is quietly and compassionately saving the lives of black moms and babies from the greatest injustice on black America, abortion. Preborn takes a stand in the highest abortion neighborhood in the U.S., Jamaica, Queens, New York. I got to hear how strong her heartbeat was. I was like, I felt like she was supposed to be here. And it didn't matter what anybody else told me. And all that mattered was that I was blessed with the ability to carry life inside of my body. And that baby was supposed to be here for something. And that was all that mattered. In Jamaica, Queens, a predominantly black 
community. This grim reality exists. More babies are dying from abortion than are being born. Preborn Pregnancy Clinic is fighting daily to save black babies from abortion. Would you join with Preborn and help babies know their lives matter? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Thanks for being with us. I was playing for you some cuts of Chick-fil-A CEO Dan Cathy talking about how white Christians need to repent. For what? I have no idea. Well, systemic racism, I suppose. White superiority, white supremacy, white this and that and the other thing. And he was in this panel on Sunday with Louis Giglio, the pastor in Atlanta, and also the black rapper, Christian rapper Lecrae. So they were having this discussion. Might I just point out that Dan Cathy telling white Christians what they need to repent of is standing on kind of tenuous ground when you consider that it was back in 2019 that he was the one who took a proverbial dagger to the back of Christians. You remember this? I remember this. When Dan Cathy went and did a radio interview and talked about the importance of marriage between a man and a woman, he got excoriated. He was destroyed by gay activists. I was broadcasting at the time. I covered the whole story. Couldn't get him on the air. He didn't want to do any interviews with anybody. Didn't want to talk about it at all. And then it came that the announcement was... Uh, the gay activists wanted to flood Chick-fil-A on a particular day and in an act of protest. And what happened? Christians rose up and said, we're going to go. We're going to protect Chick-fil-A as a matter of principle because we finally have somebody in the public sphere who's standing up for what is right. So Christians went on that day and flooded Chick-fil-A's and stood in line at Chick-fil-A's for hours and hours and hours. And I was one of those people. And it did a great amount of good because it pretty much clamped down on the gay protests. So what happens in 2019? As Lori Higgins wrote at the Illinois Family Institute, in a stunning act of betrayal, Chick-fil-A's charitable foundation, the Chick-fil-A Foundation, announced it will no longer donate to the Salvation Army, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, or the Paul Anderson Youth Home. Though Chick-fil-A has not publicly acknowledged the reason for its betrayal, everyone knows what it is. Chick-fil-A is attempting to curry favor with the LGBTQ plus community that is shredding our social fabric. This policy shift constitutes a cowardly betrayal of Chick-fil-A's Christian's ethos and its Christian customers who have stood by Chick-fil-A through all its trials at the hands of legions of supporters of sexual deviance. And she put in there, hashtag love of money. 
I have to agree with every word she just said. So keep in mind there, when you're talking about Dan Cathy telling us to repent, perhaps he would like to go first. Just saying. And and by the way, he runs Chick-fil-A, so he has a direct link to the need for repentance for a particular thing that he did, which was stab Christians in the back. Uh, and as far as what happened to George Floyd, which we all mourn, it was horrible. We didn't have any direct thing to do with that at all. That was Derek Chauvin, not not me, not you, not anybody else who's listening. You know, sins are individual. You don't have to apologize for the sin that somebody else committed. So let's move on to the rest of this because it just kind of got worse. Louis Giglio said this and got into a lot of trouble. This is cut five. I think the other side of it is true with our nation's history. We miss, we understand the curse that was slavery, mm-hmm. white people do. And we say that was bad, but we miss the blessing of slavery that it actually built up the framework for the world that white people live in in and lived in. And so a lot of people call this white privilege. And when you say those two words, it just is like a fuse goes off for a lot of white people because they don't want somebody telling them to check their privilege. And so I know that you and I both have struggled in these days with, hey, if the phrase is the trip up, let's get over the phrase and let's get down to the heart. Let's get down to what then do you want to call it? And I think maybe a great thing for me is to call it white blessing. Okay, that did not go over well at all. I'm not really sure why he said that, but you had tons of people on social media going nuts and criticizing Louis Giglio and then criticizing Lecrae for not standing up to him, leading Lecrae to put out this edited version of a video. This is Cut 6. Thank y'all for y'all just acknowledging the pain and the frustration that y'all had uh, with everything that you've seen. I know this is a, a it's, it's rough, you know what I'm saying? We're talking about 345 years, 400 years of, of chattel slavery and then 89 years of Jim Crow. And uh, we're battling still in 2020. And so I appreciate y'all acknowledging the pain and the frustration that you have with what was said. Um, it's helped me process a lot as well. First of all, I want you to know I wasn't okay with it. Um, even as I sat there, I was very uncomfortable and I was processing on like, man, how do I, what do I say in light of this? Um, it's been a lot of times where um, as I've navigated white supremacy or, or, or racial injustice, where I've just been trying to figure out, um, you know, where I wanted to lash out, honestly, in anger. And there's other moments where I've been like, all right, God, give me the grace and the wisdom on how to deal with this. And um, in that moment, I was processing like, man, how do I, what do I do? Um, I ended up having a conversation with him subsequently, you know, right after we talked. And then I talked to him again last night and um, and, and let him know my, my views and my perspectives. And obviously I, I wasn't okay with it. And we can't just be virtue signaling and doing this because it's the end thing to do to talk about race on platforms. Uh, I just want to thank y'all, uh, especially my black sisters who have been on the front lines. Obviously, I'm not okay with, you know, changing white privilege to white blessing. That's a privilege in and of itself. Um, but, you know, man, um, yeah, we, we, uh, we, 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 we talked about it and we're going to continue working through it. So I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. Okay. Well, it gets even worse because then Louis Giglio came out and he apologized. And boy, this is hard to listen to. This is part of it. This is cut seven. I just wanted to come directly to you today and sincerely apologize for the use of the phrase on Sunday, white blessing. And I extend that apology today to every single person who is listening to me right now. But most importantly, I extend that apology to my black brothers and sisters. I 
like so many, am so burdened about what is happening in our nation right now. And I'm heartbroken about where we are as a nation. And one of the things that I'm most heartbroken about is trying to help myself continue to learn and to help my white brothers and sisters understand that white privilege is real. Okay. All right. Let me just say something. This is a little bit personal. I knew Louis Louis Giglio when I was in college, before he was ever famous, he was my Bible study leader. I went on a missions trip with Louis leading the missions trip of a group of students. He was so on fire for the Lord. He was solid. He preached the Bible. He was just, he was fantastic. And he had a huge Bible study. It went from a small Bible study to a really big Bible study when I was in college. And he was wonderful. He was great. And I listened to this Louis Giglio, and I've been doing this for a few years. And I'm like, what happened to you? What happened to you? The Louis Giglio I know would never be doing this sort of stuff. Not I'm not talking about not caring about uh, real racism. I think he would have and, and should today. What I'm talking about is this capitulation. And it reminded me of what happened back in 2013. Do you remember he was selected by President Obama to do the benediction at his inauguration? And he ended up withdrawing. And do you remember why? Because it was revealed that he gave a sermon in the mid-90s calling on Christians to fight the aggressive agenda of, guess who? The gay rights movement. He put out a statement and he said, due to a message of mine that has surfaced from 15 to 20 years ago, it is likely that my participation in the prayer I would offer will be dwarfed by those seeking to make their agenda the focal point of the inauguration. So he dropped out. Now, they might have pressured him to drop out, and I'm sure they did. What stunned me at the time was, really, it's been 20 years since you talked about the threat to the Christian church of the gay agenda, Louis? Because that doesn't sound like the Louis I knew. Isn't it interesting that both Louis Giglio and Dan Cathy will come forward and make a huge thing about the church needs to do this, even though we know what's going on in the streets is much bigger than racism. It's racism is being hijacked in order to push a Marxist anarchist agenda to dismantle the country. Do you guys not see this? But they didn't have any courage at all to stand up against Big Gay when it might have mattered, when it would have mattered. You know, this is what bothers me, but they'll, you know, oh, and my voice will waver as I'm talking about the fact that white Christians need to repent. Certain white Christians, I'm sure, do need to repent of all white Christians need to repent of all kinds of things on any given day. But what about people feeling browbeaten when they didn't do anything? Who is standing up for those Christians? I'm not denying racism, and I'm not denying the need to repent, not at all. But I am tired of the bigger story not being brought to bear on the entire issue, and frankly, I'm disheartened at seeing what I believe is cowardice. It's cowardice. You guys didn't have any sort of courage or spine to stand up on the biggest issue facing the church, and I think this week's Supreme Court decision points that out full bore. We now are going to have an unbelievable time practicing our Christian faith publicly in the same way post the Bostock decision. And we're going to see that unfold. And who's going to stand in the gap and who's going to tell the truth from the word of God boldly without capitulating to the world all the time? I don't know. It remains to be seen. It remains to be seen, but it concerns me tremendously to see an hour at which we should have pastors coming out and saying, we need to think biblically about this. You know, the police fatally shot 19 unarmed white people in 2019 and only nine unarmed blacks. And not one of those lives should have been lost. Not one of them. But that's never talked about. 
you know, you shouldn't ever have a police officer killing somebody who shouldn't have been killed, but you also shouldn't put a police officer in legal trouble when he was simply defending his life. And, and the person in custody was the one who resisted arrest and did something potentially very, very violent. Now, these issues are complicated. They're not complex. And I don't think the virtue signaling is always very helpful. we got to leave it there. Thanks for being with us on Janet Mefford today. We'll see you next time.